Good to have you here this morning. Boy, that was some good anointing. Worship team, we sure appreciate the things you do to usher us right in there. I'll tell you, they, they're good. If you thank them every Sunday, it probably wouldn't be enough. Just thank them for their diligence, the effort they put in. Oh, I'll tell you, it's, it is good. Praise God. If you received something from the Lord here this morning, whether you came out for prayer or didn't, let us know. Fill out one of those praise report cards that people know what God has done for you. We'd like to, to hear about that. Well, if you're up on Facebook this morning, we gave you a little, uh, little taste of what we're going to get into here today. And we're going to actually take what we're, go- what we're going to do on Wednesday night, and we're going to do it here on Sunday. And then on Wednesday night, we'll jump ahead to the next chapter. So I got half of that right in your, in your bulletin, but I didn't change the, the scheduled part. So. But we're jumping ahead. We're going to be in 1 Kings here today. And we got a little uh, video clip I want you to, to watch, probably of something that's familiar to you. But the reason that we're doing this is that sometimes people don't always understand what the purpose is between a Sunday morning service and a Wednesday night service. There's a different purpose in it. And there's a reason why we still, we still have it. Now, we used to have three. We used to have Sunday night, Sunday morning, and Wednesday night. And then, you know, um, pretty much across the country, people have lost interest in the Sunday night service. And not too many people were coming out, so we took it to the Wednesday and to the, and to the Sunday. But if you're not familiar with what the purpose is, and we don't go over it all the, all the times, you sometimes can get away with uh, not knowing what, what happens. Here on Sunday morning, you may not be aware of this, but you can go back for as many years as you want to, and you will always find this to be true. On Sunday mornings, we teach from a topic. Every single Sunday morning, we teach from a topic. And we take that topic and we look through the entire Bible and find out what it has to say about that topic. Recently, we've been on discerning the voice of the Spirit. And we've been through all... On Sunday, you never know where we're going to be in Scripture. We could be here, we could be there. Every once in a while, we're in the the same um, book, maybe two Sundays in a row. But we bounce all around and we cover different things. On Wednesday night, it's not so. Wednesday night, we take either a Bible book or a Bible character, a person... And we study them. And it usually goes chapter to chapter to chapter. Because that's how the Bible was written. It was written, in, uh, all of Ephesians was written at one time. Paul didn't just teach on a part of Ephesians for something in the, in the area of, of uh, hearing from the voice of God. So that's why we do that. It's to balance it out. When we had a Sunday night service, what we did was we accomplished that same purpose on Wednesday night between the two. One was always in the Old Testament and one was always in the New Testament. We were never in the Old Testament on both Wednesday and Sunday night and we were never in the New Testament on both Wednesday and Sunday night. One was always old, one was always new. And we would bounce back and forth from that. That's what we accomplish on this. We've taken Bible, New Testament Bible books and we've studied them out and we've, we've looked at them. Now we're in First Kings. We're looking at the, the whole thing of First Kings. Before that we were in Acts. We were in some of the epistles, and we're going through, just so that you know the whole book, because it's important that you know what the whole Bible says about a topic, and it's also important that you know what Ephesians says, what Colossians says, what the whole overall view of that is. So that's why we do two different things. So what we're doing, every once in a while, we have a crossover event. How many have ever watched TV and they had those crossover events? You know, where you have Chicago Fire, and it's such a big episode, it has to go from Chicago Fire into Chicago PD. 
right? And then, they, and then they, if it's a really, really big one, they go into, what's the other one that they, uh, Law and Order? Now, I, I like Chicago Fire. I like Chicago PD. I can't stand Law and Order. So if they do it into a you know, three-night event, it's got to, I, I probably won't watch it. I, <laughs> I just don't like the characters. I don't like the show. I don't, there's just nothing about it I, I like. So I just um, skipped that. But they call it a crossover event. So what we're having right now is we're having a crossover event. Because where we were going to go in 1 Kings, we can learn some things that help us out on what we're doing on Sunday morning. And so you can get a little bit of a taste of, of both things. But before we get started in here, we've got a little uh, clip I want you to see. This is a movie clip. It's, it's a great, it's a moving scene. It's from the movie Gladiators. How many saw the movie Gladiators? We, went, we almost did a church outing. We had a lot of people from church. We went on down there to the city and we watched the Philadelphia Orchestra play the music behind the uh, uh, Gladiator movie while they put the movie up on the screen. How many, how many of us were there for that? The Jacobs were there. Ethel was there. A few of, uh, it, was, it was fun. We had a good time with that. But this is just a little clip from that. It's a very moving speech that he does. He has, um, the, if you haven't seen the, huh? anybody not seen the movie Gladiators? No, no, okay. The movie Gladiators is about a guy who was over all of Romans, the whole Roman army, and he was an extremely good general, very loyal to the, to the emperor, and the emperor died, and his son took over, and he didn't have the same allegiance to the, because he, he was a very low character person. And so he just resigned his position, and well, the new emperor didn't want that, and so he uh, killed his family. And uh, uh, meant to kill him, but he escaped and he, he uh, got captured and was en- ended up as a gladiator. And this is the first time he was in the ring and he orchestrated all the people around him the way he does as a general. And they had a victory where they, were, they should not have had one. And so the emperor comes on down to greet the gladiator who headed this whole thing up. We'll go ahead and watch this. Why doesn't the hero reveal himself and tell us all your real name? You do have a name. My name is Gladiator. How dare you show your back to me? Slave! Will you remove your helmet and tell me your name? Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next.
few people in the movies can deliver a riveting speech like that, like Russell Crowe. He's actually got quite a few of the uh, top movie speeches. This is, uh, this is one of them. In it, he delivers a message. Have you ever wanted to deliver a message to someone? Good message? Bad message? Have you ever had a message that burned on the inside of you? Maybe with some good news that you heard about someone and you just couldn't wait to bring that news to them. Or maybe it was like this and you couldn't, delay, you couldn't wait to deliver the message that revenge was going to be yours. Not that you would do that as a believer, but that's what he had done, had done here. He'd been waiting a while to deliver that message. And though this wasn't the day that he counted on doing it, he was ready for it. And he delivered the message to the emperor. Did you see the emperor's face change? He became fearful of a slave, of a servant. And though he had the power to put his thumb down and have the gladiator killed, he felt the pressure of the crowd that was around. And he didn't do what he wanted. He did what the crowd wanted, figuring he could do this later on. It's a powerful message. In this chapter, we have a message that God delivers to a king. This message came to this prophet, and he had to travel a long way to deliver this message. And God told him what the message was, how he was to deliver it, and what he was to do afterwards. He had it all clear cut. This is one of those stories, I thought we had covered it somewhat recently, but uh, we may have referred to it a few times, but haven't really delved into it as, uh, in as, as recent time as I thought. But it's one of those stories we can constantly learn things from. And we're going to look into it here today. Your outline says First Kings 1. Daryl brought that to my attention. I, I left the three off. And um, so I apologize for that. He was wanting to know which ones to get ready. So it is, at the top it says First Kings 13. That is correct. You have to put in the extra three down at the other spot. We're in First Kings chapter 13 today. In the previous chapter, Jeroboam was one of the ones who rebelled against Solomon when Solomon stopped following God and followed after the idols. And a message came to Jeroboam. Jeroboam, I'm going to give you ten tribes of Israel. A robe was torn into twelve pieces. Ten of them were given to him. Or actually, he was told, take ten pieces for yourself. And two were left to the house of David. And he said, I'm going to give you ten. I'm not going to give you all of them. I'm going to give you ten. And if you'll do like David did, serve me with all your heart. I will make your house an enduring house just like I made David. And his rebellion got to... Solomon, Solomon probably heard about the word that had come to him. And eventually he had to run and flee the country because he feared for his life. Much like David fled the country from Saul. Jeroboam fled the country from Solomon. And he went down to Egypt and he spent some time down there until he heard that Solomon was dead. And then he came back. And when he came back, all the people gathered to Rehoboam and they asked Rehoboam to come up to one of the northern cities away from Jerusalem because there was already a rift between the northern tribes and the southern tribes. And they said, you come on up here, we're going to decide whether we're going to make you king or not. And so he came on up and he heard their request. If you were here last Wednesday, we went over that. And they didn't like his response. And so they said, to your tents, O Israel, what have we to do with the house of David? And they rebelled against the house of David. And Jeroboam was picked as the new king. God had already anointed him for the job. But after God had anointed Jeroboam king 
over Israel. He wasn't king yet, but he was anointed to be king over Israel. And he went down to Egypt. It seems that Egypt got a hold of him and that the world influenced him a lot. And when he came back, one of the first things we see that he did as king was he instituted a new religion. New feast days. He made priests out of every tribe, not just the tribe of Levi. He instituted his own type of worship and he constructed two golden calves. Where did we see the golden calves come from before? Israel built them. But before that, where did we see the golden calf? In the land of Egypt. It's where Israel brought them over. And Jeroboam goes down to Egypt and the first recorded act we have of him as king is to build a god that was down in Egypt. Even though God, Jehovah, had given him a promise, he left it. In 1 Kings chapter 13, in verse 1, And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. A man of God. And we don't really tell what the, what the guy's name is. Apparently, his name is not important. But if you get to heaven and you want to meet this guy, wh- who was the man of God in 1 Kings? They'll take you right over to him. We'll, they'll, they'll let you know where he, where he is at. Behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. So again, we don't have to be a Levite to be a priest and to bring offerings and to bring sacrifices. And so Jeroboam stood himself in the office of king and priest and was offering a sacrifice to this God. Now, he may have presented it as worship of Jehovah, but there are too many things that were different. And God didn't ask for this kind of uh, worship anyway. Now, first of all, the prophet had to get a message. He received the message from God. He then got how to deliver that message. And this particular one, as we said, had a third component to it, what to do after you got the message. And he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign that same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar will split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. Now this prophecy is powerful in a number of ways. First off, he only prophesies against the altar. But by prophesying against the altar, all those who come to the altar, all those who worship at the altar, would come under the same prophecy as well. So he's prophesying to the altar. O altar, altar. He talks about a, a, a king who would be born, a child by the name of Josiah. He says this child will be born to the house of David. Now, if you were in the previous uh, Wednesday night services, you know that Jeroboam, the reason that he gave for leaving the worship they had before was found in 1 Kings 12 and verse 26. And Jeroboam said in his heart, be careful of the things you say in your heart. He didn't say it out loud. He said it in his heart. How many times have you said something in your heart? Just on the inside. Just said it to yourself. Be very careful about what you say. This is what he said in his heart. Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Is that what God promised them? 
God promised him, if you will follow after me, if you be loyal to me as David was, I will make of you an enduring house as I made David. It is very easy for us, just like Jeroboam did, to hear the promise of God and come about fulfilling it in our own way. We have to be very careful about that. If God gave you a promise, even though it doesn't make sense, go after it God's way. God gave you a promise to, or God gave you a promise to the children of Israel. I will deliver you from the hand of the Egyptians, and led them to a place where they were trapped, with the Red Sea in front of them, mountains on their left and their right, and the Egyptian army behind them. They had no place to go, and they cried out. God led us into a trap. God did not lead them into a trap. He led them into a place where He would take care of their enemies. They were right where they needed to be. Now, they would, they might think we need to go back and we need to surrender. And maybe they'll spare us. See, we can reason out how we're going to bring about the promise of God. Don't reason it out. How did God say he was going to do it? What was the word of God? What was spoken? So he says, this, this child, Josiah, by name, will be born to the house of David. The fear that Jeroboam had was that they were eventually going to turn back to the house of David and forsake him. What God is telling him is, this territory where you stand one from the southern kingdom is going to come up and do what he wants to here. When, if you were Jeroboam, once you kind of think, well, I told you this was going to happen. But the only reason it happened was because he followed after his way and not after God's way. But God even says, Josiah by name. He gives him the name. Now, it's not because God controlled the parents of Josiah and said, you shall call his name Josiah. That wasn't it. Because God is in touch with all points of time at the same time. You ever heard people talk about how uh, to God a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day? Almost every time I hear a preacher say that, they aggravate me. Because you know what they do? They'll say, well, you know, this happened 3,000 years ago. That's like three days to God. That's garbage. How can that be like three days to God? Why not go the other way? If a day is like a thousand years, maybe it's multiple tens of thousands of years to God. What God is saying with a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, He's not giving you a conversion table. He is telling you, time has no bearing with Him. How can you come up with that with any other meaning than that? He is saying, God has, there's no bearing of time. They don't mark time in any other way. There's no day. There's no thousand years. God is in touch with the past, our present, and our future at the same time. All of it. Nothing happens in a linear fashion with God. Now, if you've been around here before, we've given you some uh, points on that. And if you just look at the book of Revelation, Revelation will bear this out. If you go over to the book of Revelation, the question I always love to ask people is, when was the book of Revelation written? Most people try and tap into their church history and try and come up with, you know, I don't know, somewhere, oh, was it 70 AD? Was it 79 AD? Something, you know, something like that. No, the book of Revelation has not been written yet. The book of Revelation is written during the tribulation, which is future, by a man who was in the past and is read by you who are in the present. 
That should blow your mind as far as time is concerned. Something that has not happened yet was written about in the past and you can read about it now. Is that not the most incredible thing? When God makes prophecies, He does not control what people do. He is simply in touch with it and tells you. God, when He called John up to heaven, did not do... You know, let's, let's, let's just run through the tribulation. Just, just give it a run through and make sure everything works okay. You know, we'll destroy the earth. We'll destroy the sun and the moon. and we'll make all, But yet, we'll put it all back together again afterwards. No. God brings him up to heaven and he sees the tribulation unfold before his eyes. Because God is in touch with the past, present, and the future. When they press Jesus about some things, you know, whose husband will she, uh, will she be? And um, Jesus says, you err in this. God is not the God of the, of the dead. He's the God of the living. He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was. I am. When he says the name to Moses, what's the name that God gives himself? I am. God always exists in every time as if it was today. It's an amazing God. Amazing God that we have. You're reading through Revelation with us. You're catching on to some of these things that they, they do. Revelation, keep in mind, is the only book of the Bible that is not written here on earth. It doesn't follow the rules that the other ones do. It's the only book of the Bible that was not written here. It was written in heaven. John narrates the writing. He even says, I, be, I began to write this. I mean, he read that this, this, this week. I began to write this, and the Spirit of God said to me, don't, don't write down what the voice of the thunder said. That's why I didn't write it down. He's writing it in heaven, not here. I'll tell you what, you can have fun with that. Verse 4, So it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God who cried out against the altar in Bethel, that he stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Arrest him. Then his hand, which he stretched out toward him, withered so that he could not pull it back to himself. The altar also was split apart, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. So he hears this message. He doesn't repent. He stretches out his hand, and he says, You know, get him, kill him. And when he does that, his whole hand becomes, he can't pull it back. It's done. The hand which he stretched out toward him withered so that he could not pull it back to himself. It, whatever withered is. Remember the hand of the, the man in the New Testament? Had a withered hand, he couldn't, couldn't but God says stretch it forth. And as he goes through the motion to try and stretch it forth, it becomes strong and he's able to do it. It became withered. And the altar was split, out, uh, split apart. Now Jeroboam comes against him. Understand, note this, he does not come against the man's message. He comes against him. This is what happens even in today. People do not come against your message. They come against you. They try and discredit you. They try and get people to not believe you or to not like you. Point out all your flaws. 
they can't point any fault with your message because your message is of the, of the Word of God. I put this in your outline for you. There are two forces that come against us to destroy our faith in God's Word and raise up doubts. Two forces. Those from within and those from without. Those from within and those from without. Jeroboam was on the outside. As a believer, you're going to have people that are outside of faith in God who are going to come against the things of your faith. If that does not work, then there will be those from within. There will be fellow believers. There will be people that identify with you. If you stand against those who forcefully come against you from outside, then perhaps you will give in to those who are on your side, or at least appear to be. Those are the places that they come from. Verse 6, Then the king answered and said to the man of God, Please entreat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me, that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him, and he became as before. Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. Isn't it great? People who are good. First they want you dead, then they want to give you a reward. Fickle people. I mean, don't put any faith in them. Now, if you are a follower of Jeroboam and his new religion, and you have come to this sacrifice, are you going to follow a person who has just been demonstrated can't even communicate to God to get his hand healed? Or are you going to follow the guy who did communicate with God and got the guy's hand healed? Also spoke some things, altar splits apart. Who, who would you rather follow after? Well, don't wonder about it because the children of Israel didn't follow after the man of God. They continued to follow after Jeroboam. Isn't that amazing to you? But the man of God said to the king, if you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, you shall not eat bread nor drink water nor return by the same way you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. So God had given him this. You're going to go up to there, but whatever way you go up, you're not going to come back that way. You're going to come back a different way. Now he's walking. They don't have as many roads back then as we have. They have fewer roads. So if you were going to go there, you would take the shortest way. If you're going to come home, wouldn't you want to come home the shortest way? Now there is another way, but it's longer. I've used this as an example before, but you know, when we go from our house to the airport, I can take the blue route. I can take the Schuylkill Expressway. I can take the back roads. I can take uh, Lincoln Drive and Kelly Drive and things like that. Uh, I can go all the way out to the Turnpike to 95 and head on down that way. It depends on what traffic is backed up. But you know, there is, of all those ways, there is a short way. But not always is the short way the best way. So you listen to the traffic. For me, the shortest way to get to the airport is from, uh, from my house is to travel on the Schuylkill Expressway. That's the shortest way. I've told you before, that's my favorite road in the, in the city, of the highways anyway. I like Kelly Drive too, a whole lot better, but it's, just, it's, a, it's a nice drive. It's the shortest. The blue route is longer, but sometimes it will get you there faster, but it is a longer way. But if you're walking, you don't have traffic jam problems. There's not cars in front of you. There's not issues like that. So he's got to come home a longer way than the way that he's going. And again, he's walking. And he's not supposed to eat or drink anything. Hmm. 
Well, verse, um, verse 11. Now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in the Bethel. And they also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. So we have an old prophet. He's identified as a prophet of God. An old prophet who dwelt in Bethel. And his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. How did the sons know what the prophet did? They were there. Why are the sons of the prophet at a sacrifice being held by Jeroboam? Because they have signed up with whatever religion Jeroboam is selling. They came as a follower of Jeroboam's religion. There's no other reason to be there, right? Now, the old prophet, he stayed at home. Apparently, he doesn't like to go after the sacrifice, but he doesn't stop his sons from going. Got some problems in that household right there. A lot of people, when they saw that Jeroboam had taken the country in this false religious way, left the northern tribes and went down to the southern tribes. And we talked about that on Wednesday. And their father said to them, which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God who went came from Judah. They saw which way he went. So which way did he go home? So they told him all the signs. He said, I can't go home the way that I came. He heard that part and they related that part. All right, well, if he can't go home the way that he came, which way did he go afterward? And they saw which way he went, which again tells you they are there. <clears throat> then he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he rode on it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. Now, God didn't say you couldn't stop and rest. <laughs> he just said, don't eat or drink. And went after the man of God and found him sitting under the, the oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. And he said, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you nor go in with you. Neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. Now think about that. You're making a long journey. Can't drink any water. He said, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. And the parenthesis says he was lying to him. Do you know that believers will sometimes lie to you? People in the church, at least present themselves as believers, will sometimes lie to you? Have you ever, not, surely nobody here, but have you ever known of Christians that are in church and left church because somebody in the body of Christ lied to them and they got mad at God? And they got mad at church and they got mad at the Bible and they stayed out because someone lied to them. Well, it's their own fault. The Bible tells you that people will do this. Don't be surprised. Right there. Right in, the, right in the Bible. He was lying to him. So he went back with him, ate bread in his house and drank water. He shouldn't have done that, should he? It wasn't a good thing. You see... If the, if the enemy cannot get you to veer off what God has told you to do with people that are outside of the church, using a hammer, using force, using whatever they can to try and get you off of that, 
if that will not work, and then they tried the reward. We will give you a great reward. That didn't work. He then will send someone who is familiar to you, who is on your side, and try and get you to come back that way. I too am a prophet, just like you. We're one and the same. An angel showed up with me because the word of the Lord came to that angel. That angel said, go get them, bring them back, have them eat and drink. And he, he went. He's resisted all this other stuff, but this one he did not resist. His guard was down. His guard was down. If you've ever watched any of those uh, sci-fi movies, the space movies, my favorite one, of course, is Star Trek. When does the Enterprise get hurt? When their shields are down. And so, you, you know, you're watching the Star Trek movie, you're watching the, the episodes, whatever it is, and the, the foreign ship comes in, and they don't know what it is, and their shields aren't up yet. How many of you are saying, shields up, shields up? <laughs> but they don't put the shields up. And then the, the, the other ship fires on them, and they get damaged, and, you know, warp, warp drive is gone, they can't go anywhere, or their phasers are gone, or something has happened, and they're, they're damaged. And it's just, why didn't you get your shields up? Because we thought it was friendly. That's why Jesus warns us many times. Be careful that no one deceives you. He's telling you, keep your shields up. He says to us in the Word of God, He says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. He shows us in the Gospels that Jesus had people who were on the same side. He had the name of Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes. But even though they were supposed to be on the same side, they were very much against the things that Jesus was doing. The Bible tells us that there was a Judas in the midst of the twelve disciples. The Bible has given us plenty of warning. How many times does Paul say, so-and-so did me great harm? Believer, someone who was on his team turned against him. Don't let these things surprise you. There are people out there that will try and do this to you. Put in your outline that the enemy cannot move you by those who are against you. He will try with those who are for you. The enemy doesn't care what you give in to. He just wants you to give in. He doesn't care what you give in to. He doesn't care if you give in to external pressure or internal pressure. He just cares that you give in. That's all he wants. Just give in. Now, I put this in your outline for you. Too often Christians are found seeking after a word from God instead of walking in the light of what has been revealed. This is a problem that many Christians have. Not just this prophet right here. We have many Christians who will go to a special service, who will go to some special prophet, who will go to some special thing that is happening. God, give me a word. Oh, God, give me a word. And out of that service, a word comes. And that word goes against the things that you knew to do. It goes against the things that the Word of God taught you to do. It goes against the things that God had spoken to you, against the calling that God had put on your life. And that word came, and you followed after it. Because it was a word. I was in the service. It was with brother or sister so-and-so. And they got up, and they gave me a word. They gave me a prophecy. And they got so many things right. And then they said I was supposed to do this. And since they got all those other things right, I figured that this was right too. 
and you went after it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't seek after a word from God to lead you against what you already know to do. I already know to do it. Have you ever heard people, ministers, pastor ran off with the secretary? Why? Well, God told me to. <laughs> and they, they firmly believe it. They, they firmly believe it. They, they think God, God opened this door up. God didn't. No. You cannot get a new word from God that goes against what His word and what He has revealed to you in the past. You can't do it. There's an opportunity that David had. He had the word from God. You will be king. But he was in the cave and Saul was there and his men said to him, look, God has delivered your enemy into your hand. Let's get him. Let's take care of this whole problem right now. What does David say? No. Because the word of God had guided him. It says, you will not raise your hand against the Lord's anointed. Therefore, this is not a specific word to help me. <clears throat> so the prophet brings them on back to the house. They're eating, having some water, having a good time. All of a sudden, verse 20. Now it happened. As they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, Because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord, and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, ate bread, drank water, in the place of which the Lord said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. All right. Anybody have a problem with this? How many times I've read over this story, I still come to this. Why is God using this prophet who just lied. Just lied. He, he purposely deceived God's man who was doing all that God wanted him to do exactly as God wanted him to do it until this liar comes along and passes himself off as a prophet and then he got a word from God by an angel and then God is going to use him to speak condemnation to the man he brought back? Who's the, who's the greater sin? The man who sinned or the man who let him into it? What does Jesus say about false teachers? What does Paul say about false teachers? What kind of a judgment is coming on them? A greater one. Jesus calls the, the false teachers in his day. You've made your followers twice as fit for hell. Or John does. John, John may... You made them twice as fit for hell as you are. <laughs> Come on. Who's, who's a greater fault? The one who led them? What does Jesus say about this? Oh, woe to the one who leads one of these little ones astray. So how many of you, when you get to heaven, you're going to say, God, God how, how did you use this guy? How is it that you use this guy who is a liar, who pulled your man off from what you wanted to be done, how is it that you would use this guy? I got an answer to that question. Look at who else he had to pick from. He had the two sons who were up there worshiping the idol. This guy wasn't. He also had a donkey. Now, he has used a donkey in the past. Somehow, 
that when he used the donkey before, there was no one. There was no one. So if you ever wonder why he used the donkey to speak to Balaam, it's simply this. If there is no one around, God will use a donkey. But if there is someone around, God will use that someone. How many of you want to be more useful to the kingdom of God than a donkey? As long as you are around, God will use you and not the donkey. Now look at this. How many times have we disqualified ourselves from ministry? God can't use me. God can't speak to me. God can't do that. Look at these things that I have done. And yet look at this passage. If God can use this man to hear the word and deliver it, how much more can he use you? Don't ever disqualify yourself from service. doesn't matter... What happened in the morning? God will use you right where you are. It's in the Bible, isn't it? Would you have used this person? How many of you are like me? I would not use this. I would go outside. I'd bring somebody from some other town. I'd wait until he's on his way home and find somebody else and deliver the message. I would not, I would not use this guy. But I'm not God. And I'm not the one who's going to use you. Who is? God is. And so what God is saying is, I can use you. If I can use this guy, surely I can use you. So let God use you. Don't let the enemy disqualify you. Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command, commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, ate bread, drank water in the place of which the Lord said to you, eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. If you were the man who's delivering this word, how many of you would feel a little funny? A little timid about delivering this word. He does not appear to be timid. He gets right in there and speaks this word. Now, if you were the man of God who just was deceived, what are you going to do now? How many of you, how many of you respond this way? I am mad with you. How many of you would take a punch at this guy? How many would break something in his house? Do something like that. That's not this guy. You know what the man of God does? So it was after he had eaten bread and drunk. He had drunk. He saddled a donkey for him. The prophet whom he had brought back. When he was gone, a lion met him. So here's where we go. We, we, we got, we sit, he sits down afterwards. Man. God just spoke to me. Yeah, he, he did. Can you pass me the bread? I need a little more water too. Yeah, sure, sure. And they, they sit there and they finish their meal. And afterwards, the prophet says, hey, let me saddle your donkey for you. Let me take care of that for you. Honey. Saddle this donkey on up. We'll get, you, we'll get you going. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for saddling my donkey for me. Does this seem normal? I think at least get up and be mad and storm out. And saddle your own donkey. And head on back, back home. That's not what happens. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that one. I'm going to have to wait till I get to heaven and find out, what were you thinking? Why do you do this? I don't know why. That's, that's what he's going to do. When he was gone, a lion met him. Now, I didn't meet him like, hi, how you doing? I'm lion. That's not what he's talking. It may sound like that. When he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. So he's coming on the road, sees the lion, 
See, here's the prophecy. The prophecy said, you're not getting home alive. Here's the lion. Now, if the same pattern holds true with how he was with the old prophet, maybe he got off his donkey and he said, all right, here I am. Go ahead. Kill me. Just, you know, leave the donkey alone. Donkey didn't do anything here. I get myself away from the donkey so I have to hurt the donkey. I don't know. Maybe that kind of thing happened because this guy just, it, it seems odd. But the lion met him on the road, killed him, and his corpse was thrown on the road and the donkey stood by it. So he kills the, the man and he takes his corpse and he throws it by the side of the road. And then the donkey says, do you mind if I sit here and wait with you? And the lion says, no problem. You can be on that side. I'll be on this side. So the lion sitting there next to the, the body. The donkey sitting there next to the body. And there are men pass by. And they saw the corpse thrown on the road. Now usually we're used to seeing dead animals on the side of the road. And maybe some people taking care of the dead animals to get them off the road. Now what you have is the dead person on the road and the animals alive sitting next to it. It's very strange. This is not the way it normally happens. I heard somebody say one time, you know why there are uh, dead animals on the side of the road? Because the live ones won't stay there. Except in this case. In this case, the live ones stood. Is it not strange? They don't, the lion doesn't eat the man of God. He just killed him. Do lions kill for fun? They kill for one purpose, right? They kill to eat. And if you ever watch the National Geographic specials, when a lion goes out and he kills the, the food, the lion's tired. And the lion needs a nap. And the lion rests. And the lion really doesn't do a whole lot more until the lion is hungry again. Most times we watch pictures of lions out there and the, they're all laying down, wagging their tails. Right? And the whole pack, the whole pack there around. And uh, if, if I remember correctly, isn't it true that it's usually the, the women? They're the ones doing the hunting. And the guys, yeah, that's it. That one right over there. Yeah, that's, no, don't go that way. Yeah, that's it. Go. They're, they're kind of directing everything. But it's the, it's the lionesses that go out there and they do all the hunt. They kill all the stuff. They come on back. But it's still, you know, the, the big male lions, they're tired. It's a hard day catching that gazelle. Eating that gives, I mean, it's just, it was just tough. But this one, they just kills it, sit next to it. So people know lions don't just kill. And so they begin to talk about it. There's a, do you, you see that lion? The donkey's right next to it. This, we've never seen this before. And so people are talking about it. What's going on? What's happening? So they went and they told it into the city where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet who had brought him back from the from the way heard it, he said, it is the man of God who is disobedient to word the word of the Lord. Totally leaving his part out, right? Therefore, the Lord has delivered him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. And he spoke to his sons, saying, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled it. Then he went and found his corpse thrown on the road and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. The lion had not eaten the corpse nor torn the donkey. Are you going up to the lion? Under normal circumstances, folks, we're not going up to the lion. But I already know I lied to the man of God. I brought the man of God back 
so that this judgment came upon him, I'm the reason he's dead. How many of you are thinking, maybe that lion has two orders? <laughs> one order he took care of, the second one is for me. But this guy just boldly goes up there next to the lion, pulls the corpse out. Mm. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back. So the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. So he's riding a donkey. We got the other donkey there who's still there. He takes the dead corpse, puts it on the other donkey, and he rides his donkey back home. So this way he doesn't have to carry the man of God. He lets the donkey carry it. Brings it on back, buries him in the city, and begins to mourn him. Mm-hmm. So it was after he buried him that he spoke to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. If you are the man of God, would you almost... God, send me back. Just for a minute. Just, for, just send me back for a minute. I just want to deliver a message. Leave my body alone. Get buried someplace else. I don't want you next to me. How many of you would want to deliver that message? I am, I am all, just, just 10 seconds. All I need, put me back there. For the same which he cried out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines and the high places which are in the city of Samaria will surely come to pass. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but again he made priests from every class of people. For the high places, uh, whoever wished, he consecrated him and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth. After all those events, he didn't turn. After the event of the withered hand, at the event of the altar being torn, after the event of this man not obeying the word of God and being killed by the lion and the lion standing next to it, after all these events, all this stuff going on, Jeroboam still follows after the way he devised in his own heart. Now, the thing we need to learn from this is the man from God, the man of God, did hear from the Lord. He did know what to do. He had the right message. He knew, without a doubt, I am to go up to Bethel, deliver this message, and come back a different way and not be stopped. He knew it. No matter who questioned about it, whether it was the king or the old prophet, he told them all the same story. He knew what God had said to do. And yet, he dies because he didn't follow it. Just because we have discerned the voice of the Lord correctly, just because I know what God has said, it does not mean that I will follow it. I can turn away and go in a different direction. Do you know people who have a call of God in their life and were following after that call until something happened in their life? And they turned away from it. Do you know people who received a healing in their body and after some time got bitter against God? The healing went away. They stopped going to church. They stopped following after God. Were they unsure as to what God had done? They weren't unsure at all. I put this in part in your outline. How can we increase our endurance? Because the man of God here and I probably missed uh, giving you a bunch of those, those things in the, in the beginning. I apologize for that. But the first thing was, the man of God, he heard. 
the message from God, didn't he? He heard it. The second thing, he, he did it. There's no doubt he hit those two right on, right on the head. He heard it and he did it. The problem was he did not endure. He failed at endure. Because once you get the word of God, you need to endure. You need to stay in there with it. And he failed at that spark. Because of that, he never reaped. There's a reward if you obey and do what God says to do. And he never reaped that reward. So how is it that we can do better than he did and not get to that spot where we don't endure? Well, here's the first thing. If we are going to do what God says to do, we've hit this part of it enough. You got this one down. You got to first off hear. You got to hear from God. There are many ways that we can hear from God. We can hear from God in His Word. We can hear from God by the Spirit. We can hear from God by a prophecy. We can hear from, from God just by that inward spirit, that uh, voice that comes up on you. There's all kinds of ways we can hear from God. But when we hear from God and we know it is God, I hear from God. So that's the first thing. Hear. Don't just copy it. I put that in parentheses for you. Don't just copy. Just because somebody else heard from God doesn't mean you did. You need to hear from God. You need to hear from God. Here's some things that will help you increase your endurance. That's the important part. You've got to increase your endurance. You've got to get to where you can endure that thing better. After you hear from God, here's the next thing you can do. Just sort of a sub-point for it. See or envision. See it. When you hear from God, begin to see yourself doing it. Begin to see yourself in that role. Begin to see that thing happen. When you read the Word of God, you study the Word of God, and you get a vision from the Word of God, you hear from the, the Word of God, I am healed. See yourself healed. See it. Just begin to envision it. See that happening. If God gives you a call in your life, see yourself in that call. Whatever it is that you hear, begin to see yourself doing it. David got a word from God that he would be king. He had to begin to see himself as king so that when it was time, he could, he could do that. Joseph got a, a word from God, you're going to be a ruler. He had to begin to see himself as a ruler, even though he was a slave and then a prisoner. He had to see himself as a ruler. Abraham had a call from God. You will be a father of many nations. But he had no children. God had to get him to the point where he could see it. What does God do with that all the time? Let me take you outside. Look up at the stars. Can you count them? You see all those stars? That's your descendants. Another time he takes them out and says, look at the sand. Can you count the sand? That's going to be your descendants. You won't even be able to count them. What's he trying to do? Get them to see this. See it. After you see it, make sure you do this part. Declare it. Declare it. The man of God, when he heard this from the Lord, when he heard this mission, if he has a wife, if he had, if he's still at home with his parents, if he has friends, I'm going to Bethel. Why are you going to Bethel? What's he going to do? I am going to Bethel to deliver a word to, Jero- to Jeroboam. I am to go up one way and come home another, and I am not to eat anything or drink. Wouldn't he, wouldn't he be doing that? This is what I'm going to do. He is declaring it. He's saying what's going to happen. When Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit, he came and he sat down in the temple and he read the passage of Scripture that they read all the time about the Messiah. 
that the Messiah would come, he would heal the sick. He would set free the captives. He would give sight to the blind. Didn't he read that passage? And then at the end, he says what? This day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What's he doing? Declaring what he heard. He constantly would declare what he hears. You want to increase your endurance. Hear, but then begin to see yourself that way. And then begin to say it. Say it to every, every opportunity you get. Begin to say it. What does God do to get Abraham to see this more? He gets him to declare it. Abram, I'm going to change your name. No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, which means father of many. Every time he went out and he introduced himself, hi, I'm Abraham, he is saying, hi, I'm father of many. Wow, how many kids you got? None. Hi, I'm Abraham, father of many. He doesn't say father of many. Just when he says Abraham, people know, oh, you're father of many. That's what his name meant. And God changed his name to Abraham because I want you to go out there. I want you to begin to declare this. I want you to begin to say this. So many other scriptures, so many other places you can see this. You need to go out there. You need to continually see yourself in that role. You need to continue to see yourself healed. You need to continue to see yourself with the promises of God coming true for you. And then declare it. Declare it. Say it. But it's not true yet. doesn't matter. Declare it. Declare it. Say it. Then go out and do it. Too often, folks, we are not seen and we are not declaring. We just hear and we do and we have no endurance. We've not gotten ourselves ready. Get yourself ready. Hear, do, then you'll be more prepared to endure and get your reward. The, uh, just, just as important as anything else here, it's so important, folks, that we hear. But if you hear and don't do it, what good is it? You've got to get to the point where you do it. But if you hear and you do and do not endure, you will lose that. Can you think of somebody in the Word of God who heard and who did, but who didn't endure? So many of Jeroboam right here is one. He heard, he did, but he didn't endure. The thought comes, they're not going to keep you as king. Peter was in a boat. He heard what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? Come. What does he do? He jumps out of the water to walk on the water. He heard and he did, but then he began to sink. Why? Because of the doubts. Because of the doubts. He reached, Jesus reaches down and pulls him up and says, Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? He didn't endure. The waves... The sound of the wind, it all began to wear them down. Just because you heard from God, just because you did it, doesn't mean that you will endure. But it's just as important, because if you want to get to your reward, you've got to hear from God. You've got to do it. You've got to endure. You've got to endure. There's going to be some things that are going to come against you. Your body's going to speak some things to you. Your mind is going to speak some things to you. Your neighbors are going to speak some things to you. Your friends are going to speak some things to you. Your enemies are going to speak some things to you. People you don't even know 
will speak some things to you. Trying to wear you down. But if you don't wear down and you endure, it will be yours. Would you all stand up with me? What has God spoken to you? What has God spoken to you? What message has God gotten your way? What message has he opened up his word for you to see? What message has he spoken to your spirit? What message has come to you? Have you done it? If you have, are you facing some things? Did you give up? What's your endurance like? If you want to reap the reward, you must endure. The Word of God says, He who endures to the end, are you willing to endure to the end? Are you prepared to endure to the end? Take some preparation. Take some getting ready. And God wants to get you there. He wants you to hear. He wants you to do. He wants you to endure. Things you can do to help that along is begin to see and begin to envision me doing this thing. I'm going to see myself going out there. Can you see yourself doing that thing? Can you see it? Can you, can you begin to declare it? I will, I am. Can you declare it? These are things that's exemplified in the Word of God. And we need to do them. They will help you. They will help you. Father, we give you the praise and the glory. We know that every calling, every promise, every blessing comes from you. You don't do it because we're so qualified. You do it because you desire to use us to enact your will on this earth. Father, we're willing to be used. We're ready to hear. And when you speak to us, we will do it. And we will endure. We'll do the, do the things necessary. We'll begin to envision ourselves doing that thing. We will declare to those around us that we will do that thing. That we are that. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in this. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Before we go, we have some praise reports to hear. Anybody else have one that uh, you didn't get in yet? This one is from Jolly and Mercy. They have new tenants. We prayed about that before um, for their old house. So now they have somebody living in there. They moved in two weeks ago, right? Two Mondays ago. And then Ethel fell this week while she was running. And she says she praises God that she did not sustain any major injuries when she fell. Oh, praise God. She's since learned how to pick up her feet when she walks. <laughs> Any others? We're good? All right. Well, stand up with me again. Well, that's a type of thing we cover on Wednesday nights. Of course, we've uh, probably even covered this topic on a Sunday. It's not the topic so much, but we do go through and, and teach you the books and teach you the, the things that go on there. If you um, have interest in, in that, we're here on, on Wednesdays. If it just doesn't work out with your schedule, they do go up online. And you can pick some of them up on, on there. How many of you are current with your reading? Are in the book of Revelation? Uh, we've been through the, the seals and the, um, uh, the, bowl, or the, the, the trumpets. 
we're getting ready to, I think tomorrow you'll, you'll finish the seventh trumpet, or the, the, the sixth trumpet, I think it is coming up. I just, I read it today. I, I went ahead and read 11 today. Uh, maybe I'll read 12 tomorrow, I don't know. But uh, Revelations is a fun book. It's, a, it's an enjoyable book. It's a, um, we're missing a lot of our, our folks here today. But how many have never been through the course we taught on the Revelation, End Times Events? Anybody not been through it at all? If anyone has an interest, there are a couple of people who are not here today have ex- expressed interest in going through end times teaching and things of that nature. If you are interested in that, let me know. Uh, Facebook, text message at the back of the door, however it is. Let me know, hey, I'm interested in that. We'll, uh, we'll find a, a time that works for folks to, uh, to do it. We'll, we'll see what uh, will go on. But as long as we have, I love teaching end times. I think it's the most fantastic thing. It's, it's uh, enjoyable. And there's purpose for it. And it's the purpose is, I, how many of y'all know you're not going to be here? So why learn about a time that you're not going to be here for? It's very simple. The Bible told us to. Beside that, how many of you know people that doesn't look like they're going to turn their life around before Jesus comes? It's your job to get them ready. Now, here's the problem that comes in. A lot of times, believers are getting heathen ready with interpretation and not facts. And when they go through the tribulation, they will be seeing the actual events. If you give them a wrong interpretation of something in Revelation, it probably will never happen. But if you know what the facts are, if you know what the Word of God actually says will happen, and you give them those things, when they begin to unfold they can turn their life around. Y'all know people are getting saved in the tribulation period. Now, here's another problem that comes in with, with people not knowing what the end time says. If you give them some things that happen at the end of the tribulation, it's not going to go well for them. You need to give them things that happen at the beginning so they can turn their lives around before they take the mark of the beast and so forth. You need to, you need to do that. So we'll go through that again. If, if enough people are interested, we'll find a time outside of Wednesday, outside of a, a Sunday morning. We'll, we'll find some time that, uh, that works for you. So if you have interest in that, let me know at the end of the uh, service here. Uh, text, Facebook, whatever uh, works for you. We'll, uh, we'll see what we can put together with that. But Wednesday night, we'll be picking up where we left off. We'll be in 1 Kings chapter 14, Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Ladies have their brunch that will be going on. And if you notice in the bulletin, we moved the covered dish dinner up one week. Uh, Jane Tommy are going to be here on the on the first Sunday of the month, so there's really no sense in doing it. We'd love to get some, some things prepared before they get here, so we will do that. So the Sunday before Jane Tammy come, we will have the covered dish dinner and a church meeting on that. It's the last Sunday is the 31st of, of May. That particular week, there will be no Wednesday night service. I'm not asking for a poll, not asking for anybody. This is I'm I'm a benevolent dictator, as one person puts it. But there is, I'm still a dictator. Uh, there is no service on Wednesday night. And that's just from me declaring that. I want you here Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and all the other services. Coming out on Wednesday is just going to make it harder for you. So there's no sense in us having service here on Wednesday night. Besides, we probably have to go out and, I don't know if they're coming in on Wednesday. Or they're, they're coming in on Wednesday. So I have to go out to the airport anyway and get them. In. So we we'll have to be doing that. So no service on Wednesday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Find some people who need the healing in the body, need touch somehow. Bring them on out to the meeting. Go on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We're looking, we're, we're hoping that some people come who have young children 
And if they do, we want to have a, a children's service ready for them. We're going to keep the children in during the worship time. But the, the younger ones, I think we we're saying something like seven and under, um, uh, we'll keep them in the room over here and give them some things to do. But if we could sure use some, some folks to help out with that. So if uh, a handful of you can get something ready. And we're not saying that Thursday night we're going to have children's services and you're just going to be back in there. If we have enough children, we just want people to be ready with something prepared. Um, you, can, you can see my daughter on the, the way out here, and she'll be uh, coordinating that. We'd love to have some, some folks here. Because if you want to invite somebody out and they have some young kids, we don't want them not to come because they have the young kids. There'll be some parts of the service that the young kids would be great to be out here for and just be having a good time. But some parts, they'd probably be more comfortable being back in the room, being a little more active, and mom and dad would be a little more comfortable with that too. So uh, that'll be be going on we want to look to get that that going so if you have interest in helping us out with that just you don't have to take all the nights if you can just take one night be in here for the worship service you'll be in here for the ministry time um just looking to to help out with the kids and the some of the stuff in between so uh, let her know that on your way out have a great and blessed week uh next week is